magic, murder, problematic misogynistic undertones? Join us as we delve into one of Britain's best-loved TV shows. So grab your duffel coat, don your curly wig, and dig up that 90s character actor as we welcome you to Podcast Macabre, the Jonathan Creek Podcast. Hello, everyone. Hello, welcome back to the Jonathan Creek Podcast, Podcast Macabre. Uh, Hope you've all had a lovely week since uh, the best worst episode of Jonathan Creek ever. It was the best worst, I think. Um, Now, before we get into the new one, uh, you did ask a question on last week's episode uh, about uh, what sexy in the 90s was. I did indeed, quite Um, right. Yeah, and uh, one of our biggest fans, Adam, got in touch and said uh, that you would be the definition of sexy in the 90s. I mean, I have to say, I'm quite quite pleased with that. I think I'll, yeah. Well, yeah. I can uh, now any prior criticism I had over what sexy in the nineties uh, was um, is uh, I don't have any problem with it anymore. Yeah. So now when people <laughs> make fun of you in your fashion sets as they do on a daily basis, you can just say, "Look, I was sexy in the nineties, right?" Yeah. Unfortunately, I you know I was born in nineteen ninety, so I was sexy for the same amount of time I was a child. Yeah, that's problematic, isn't it? Well. You know, not not for David Rennick, um, <laughs> and I think we've got plenty of examples to do uh, to discuss um, with regards to that. Um, yeah. So the scented room. Um, what an episode! Yeah, I I genuinely think this is my favourite episode so far. I think it's actually good. Yeah, um, it is. It works. Everything's tied up. A bit ham-fisted in places, but yeah. nothing in comparison to what we're used to talking about. I mean, let me be clear. I'm. It's not the wire. No, <laughs> no. you know. No. Within the context of of what we've seen so far, this I think you you said when the episode ended, you know this this is the Jonathan Creek we remember. It um, is, yeah, um, it absolutely is, yeah, and lots of nice nostalgia for me in lots of good ways. Yeah, um, um, actually, funnily enough, for me, very uh, specific nostalgia. Um, there's there's a a bit uh, I don't know if you remember where Jonathan is teaching the boy uh, how. To do a magic trick, an elastic, the elastic band, band over trick. the fingers. And the minute I saw that, I suddenly remembered exactly where and when I originally watched this when it aired on television. Really? Because I we watched it uh, at the place I was living at the time, so I would have been what nine, ten, um, uh, in my parents' previous place to where they live now, and my sister and brother-in-law would have been there because I remember watching it and immediately after it finished, my brother-in-law taught me how to do the elastic uh, band trick. Of course. You're um, the magician. Yeah. Member of the magic circle at the time. Uh, I don't think he was ever a member, but he hang out with... He was, oh, right, of, yeah. he was around a lot of people that were in the magic circle. Um, very but, cool. Uh, yeah, and I to this day, I think, still remember how to how to do that. I mean, it's a very simple trick, but um, just amazing that it evoked absolutely remembering where I was watching that when it first aired. Which <laughs> is lovely. Yeah, really funny. Um, um, for me, I, I have a memory. Um, I was talking to you before about this. And you remember um, the Edwin Drood uh, episode? Yeah. And I told you that I got confused because I have a memory of a very real news story about a man who was in a locked to a radiator, handcuffed to a radiator. Yeah, yeah, the journalist. Yeah. We talked about it. A few other people said they got in touch and remembered it. Um now I have the exact same thing with this. <laughs> now I don't know if you remember at home, but 
late, around the late 90s, early noughties maybe, there was a news story about Bob Monkhouse, who stars in this episode. Um, and it was a story about Bob Monkhouse having a, a famous joke book. Yeah. Because he was very famous for his, uh, his one-liners, master of the one-liner. Um, and someone stole his notebook and there was a reward out for it because it was worth so much. Now, I have a memory of this. And as soon as Bob Monkhouse's name came up um, on the opening credits, I'm immediately thinking, oh, this is the episode where Bob Monkhouse plays himself and <laughs> they have to solve the mystery of who stole his, um, his joke book from his mansion. And then I remember, no, that, that was real life. And I'm getting real life confused with Jonathan Creek, which I think is quite a stretch. I, I love how much of your childhood and events in the news you've replaced with episodes of Jonathan Creek. Who knew that, you discovering. know, I was, yeah, I had no idea that I had such strong association with that storyline <laughs> and the news story. Now, when would you say Bob Monkhouse died in your mind? What, what, what year do you think he died? Oh, it doesn't feel, well, I don't know, maybe... 15 years ago, something like that. So 2004, 2005. So yeah, 2003. I thought it was a lot later. Oh, okay. I, I feel like he was alive in my mind for, for a, a lot longer. Oh, do you know why that lives? is? A lot of people do. Yeah. Because he starred in, in an advert campaign for prostate cancer. He did. After he, years after he died. And that was like a really pioneering thing. Because it was a bit then. of CGI. I it mean, was... actually, that's a really good point. People are going on about uh, Carrie Fisher in Star Wars and what an amazing kind of feat of technology mm. that was. They did it with that Bob Monkhouse advert. They did, and they did it like with Oliver Reed in Gladiator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Right. Um, but anyway, you know, not to take away from Carrie Fisher's posthumous performance, no, but it's absolutely. you know, it's following in the footsteps of Monkhouse and the campaign that he did yeah. uh, from Beyond the Grave for Prosket. Tweet cancer. guys, tweet Disney, tweet George Lucas, let yeah. them know it's stolen from. The Bob Monk House, the Bob Monk House prostate cancer advert. I think it's important we get this message out. It should actually. be called a, doing a Monk House. Yeah, I'm going to start a GoFundMe. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Um, so should we get to it. Yeah, the scented room. We open on uh, a big stately home. Um, uh, there's a young boy. It's huge. Yeah, it's a huge stately home. Wakes up, runs down. There's a there's a woman with one of Jonathan Creek's famous questionable accents. I know. Is she Irish? Is she American? I think she's American. See, I thought she was Irish. I, th I thought firstly she was American and then okay, decided so Irish. The We've done the opposite. But right. I'm glad that it's completely inclusive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let us know what you think, guys. Yeah. Um, and there is a school trip happening, uh, an all-girls school, um, yeah. having a little wander around this stately home. They arrive in a minibus that I had at school. First bit of nostalgia. Tick. Yeah. yeah. Um, that transit van that was blue. And it's quite common, uh, I think, for... Um, stately homes that are privately owned to, uh, to get a bit of extra cash in um they'll open it up to the public or part sell it to the national trust or yeah, things like that it's a way of paying for maintenance costs yeah do you remember the um the effing fulfords on channel four in the early 2000s yes it was a, uh, this a nobility thing. family that um yeah <laughs> awful human beings and swore a lot hence the hence yeah. the name of the uh show but i remember them on that ep uh, on that series talking about how uh, they were actually quite cash poor, but they mm. just inherited this house. And so they had to, yeah, kind of uh, open up a lot of it to the public just to get an income. Um, apparently not the case for these guys because there's frequent mentions of, of how rich they are. I mean, they are unbelievably rich. Unbelievably 
<laughs> yeah, in the opera part of that sentence. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, we yeah, yeah we get introduced to uh, uh, Bob Monkhouse's character Sylvester Lafley. What a name! Who is a theatre oh, critic? He's a theatre critic. And we learn that David Rennick absolutely despises theatre critics in this episode. Yeah, and doesn't really understand what they do. Like, no. you know, for no. of course. Although we are meant to believe that Bob Monkhouse is the antagonist of this episode, yeah. um, mainly because he grew a moustache. So yes. we know Bob Monkhouse with a moustache, he's evil Bob Monkhouse. Yeah. Um, Not that friendly Bob Monkhouse no. that he used to. But I have a problem with this because mm-hmm. uh, the first thing he says. Um, in the episode is he's uh, dictating on a dictaphone a review of mm. something he's seen at the Cotter's Lab in the National uh, yeah. called Upload Download. Um, and uh, he says, quality theatre is too precious to be wasted on annoyances, which I've been saying for years. Yeah. So the minute he too. said that, I went, you know what? He's the hero of this. Whatever happens... I'm on your side, Sylvester. It also is not the point of view of any reviewer, though. Like, <laughs> no, a yeah. reviewer is going, theatre makers don't know what good theatre is. Yeah. He, he's, he's an audience member. The yeah. audiences are idiots for enjoying it. And that's what makes it bad. But that's not what a reviewer does. Like, no. I'm d- like uh, Yeah, but fine. Um, now, who, this... yeah, but uh, yeah, sorry, it's, who's it, who is he writing for? He's He's alienating the very people who would read a review yeah who were the potential audience yeah so so <laughs> he's very bad at who is job. reading this yeah he's just trolling the people who are reading his reviews um so this whole opening thing it's kind of intercut between um uh, bob monkhouse getting a massage yeah and uh, showing that there's obviously tension and he doesn't have a very good marriage with his wife and their son is kind of ignored by them and we're intercutting that with the tour of these yeah. schoolgirls and where they're getting information from the American, Irish, Irish, American. Um, and uh, she says, she mentions this door. Now the door becomes quite important later on. Um, uh, she mentions this door and she says... Uh, that it dates back to the 1900s, which I found confusing because this is it's in the 1900s. <laughs> As if that's really old. Yeah. I didn't quite know what the point of that was. And also the house is older than that. Yeah. Like, visibly, it's much... I think she what, what was meant was 19th century... Yeah. Like 1820 or something. Yeah, she means the 1800s. Yeah. Um, which also so- doesn't make sense because then we hear that it was from the 15th Marquis and that the doors were imported yeah. by the Spanish Moors. Yeah, it, it like, I mean, why up. on earth? None of that makes historical sense whatsoever. It, no, it doesn't add up. But um, we uh, then finish the tour with young people into this hermetically sealed room uh, <laughs> where we see uh, El Greco's Kiss of Judas. Mm-hmm. Now, El Greco, I looked this up. El Greco's Kiss of Judas is not a real painting. Right, okay. So they've employed someone to make a forger, an El Greco forger, to create a fake and paint a fake El Greco painting. It it bears resemblance to, I think it's called the Disrobing of Christ, which is an right. El Greco. So they've sort of taken a bit of that, which is a much larger painting with many more people in it. Um, they've taken a, a bit of 
that painting with Jesus, Jesus and Judas, but it's definitely not exactly the same. It's definitely someone's painted that. It's so quite a lot, quite a good effort on the yeah. old prop front. It's it's the first of of many instances in this episode, which leads me to believe this is the most expensive episode of Jonathan Creek ever. Oh wow, yeah. But all the money is spent when it doesn't absolutely in all the wrong areas. Absolutely yeah. doesn't need to be. Um, well, when they got the stunt man in for the tree thing, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so uh, then, um, and we learned that it's worth it's worth one and a half million pounds. Yeah, that's the important bit of information yeah. is that this, you know, we've got a marriage that isn't particularly good because she makes him a nettle sandwich and that causes him to kick the you know masseuse yeah. into the pool. But another bit of slapstick um, yeah. in front of a scene. That's yeah. the third time you've had that now. Yeah. Seems to be a, a running trope. And we, but we learn the important information, the schoolgirls learn, uh, and we threw them, that it's worth a hun- one, £1.5 million, which they find incredible. Yeah. And I thought, actually, yeah, I would have found that amount of money un- unimaginable. Yeah. But, I mean, the house is worth that. It's yeah. six times over. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I think an El Greco would probably be worth more. I think it'd be worth. I think it's yeah. I think it's undervalued. Yeah, um, I think it's a bit undervalued. Oh, what I, I will say something they did quite well, and they actually called me out midway through writing a note uh-huh. um, because they actually spoke to it. Was when the Irish American American Irish woman uh, <laughs> explains who the house belongs to to the girls and says, "As I'm sure you all know, Sylvester Lafay celebrated theatre critic." Yeah. And I was about to write, "No, they wouldn't," but then it cut to the girls all looking absolutely like disinterested and yeah. confused and i was like okay good they've actually called that's deliberate that's a deliberate joke happened a few times actually i was writing a note and i had to abandon it yeah. which it means that rennick's getting better or as we realized in uh wrestler's tomb part two they have somehow gone forward in time yeah listened to these gone back and now now they're starting for our benefit for our benefit they're actually starting to get better which we really appreciate thanks guys thank you cheers um so yeah then we get to the uh, mystery the mystery uh, locked, the painting mystery goes missing yeah ev- everyone uh it's cut from the frame yeah everyone leaves the room they go back in and the painting's disappeared it's been cut from the frame uh but no one's entered or left yeah. the room. Uh, there's no way to get in or out of the room other Security than that Security guard had full view. Security guard had full view. A full view. line, as he describes. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. It was, was about 30 seconds. Sandwich. 30 seconds. About 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the police come in. Not just the police, though, Callum. Forensic scientists. Full forensic team, which is normal when a painting goes missing, is it? Well... The amount, the lack of forensics up until for murders, now, that we... for full on murders. <laughs> a body was found in Caroline yeah. Quentin's cupboard. No, nothing, that, nothing. Fine, but a painter goes missing, and there's three forensic scientists in 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 full like hazmat suits. Like, yeah. wh- right, fine. I mean, mate, is it a, you know a class commentary? You know that rich people get better police service. Um, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> most people get incredible police service. It seems like the police are better in the countryside in Jonathan Creek than they are in the city, even though there'd That's be a true. lot more, and they definitely get to places in London quicker. Yeah. But whenever it's a crime, it happens in the countryside in Jonathan Creek. They've got loads of stuff. There are so many police, and they get there so fast. It's as if they have the same amount of budget for a countryside police force as they do as the Met. As the Met. Everyone gets the same amount of money. Yeah. Uh, but if there are more crimes that happen in the city, as bad luck. You've just got to stretch your resources. 
Um, and then we cut to our little kind of subplot with Adam Klaus, um, who is being buried in a park. Again, right? We've mentioned this before. <laughs> what what kind of magician is Adam Klaus? He's now a David Blaine magician. Yeah. Doing, he's meant to be doing some kind of feat of, you know, human... Um, Strength, you know, human... Uh, Endurance. Endurance is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah, by uh, nailing himself inside a coffin yeah. and burying himself alive. And this happens, doesn't it, now? Quite a, f- a few times we move into the David Blaine period. Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure, if I remember, I don't know if it's the next episode or if it comes back later, but there is a payoff to that. Actually, this is a storyline they remember and come back to because... Which is this, a thing. This is a practice of it. They're yeah. rehearsing... Yeah. When they're going to do it in Hyde Park at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, now, uh, an, an elderly lady on a scooter yeah. sees this all happen. And uh, she gets the wrong end of the stick, doesn't she? She thinks that they're just burying a man alive. Um, yeah. And that they're doing it unlawfully because there's no police presence. Um, and then she beats them up and pushes Jonathan Creek into, a, into the grave. Yeah. And another guy into a grave as well. It's very... Um, she's very aggressive. Violent. It's very. She's very strong with that stick. Mm. Um, and then the comes, best thing ever happens. It is the greatest piece of acting I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> I know. Bizarrely, we have quite a lot of listeners to this that only listen to this podcast and don't watch the episode. Yeah, it is, that is weird. Please don't have to watch the episode, but find this bit. It's, it's about ten minutes in, and just watch this sequence because. I don't think us talking about it will quite do it justice. It, like it needs to be a gif or something. Like it's it, it it's just co- comically bad acting. Um, there's a crane driver. The, yeah, he's he's operating the digger, isn't he? Yeah. The, yeah sorry. Yeah, the uh, the digger. Um, and the elderly lady, after attacking everyone else, goes up to him and maces him <laughs> in the yeah. eyes. With pepper spray. Yep. Yeah. But from about a distance of about I don't know, five six feet. Too far, too far, too far far for it to do anything. Um, There is the most delayed reaction in the world and then a massively, to compensate for realising how late he is reacting to it, a massive overreaction. And then he forgets about it again. And the camera stays on him, I think, just for about a second after he thinks the camera's not. Just a bit too long, the cut's just a bit You see him stop acting as well, which is nice. But I think it's because he was expecting the mace to shoot out, right? And it didn't. It just was, I don't know, deodorant or something that just made its way over to him slowly. So he, I yeah. think he was. I think he was really good acting because he was waiting for the mace to reach him before reacting. Unfortunately, forgetting that if in real life if that had happened, you'd still react to someone spraying something in your face and what was yeah. happening. You wouldn't just wait there before before feeling the <laughs> effects of this burning mace that you've been gently wafted with yeah it is amazing really you have to see it though yeah we're not doing it justice you have to see it it's it's fantastic um and then uh that all gets sorted out and there's they decide to bring police back to redo it um in order to stop them they're not police no what are they they're traffic wardens. They're absolutely clearly traffic wardens it took me a while to realize why this was the case and then I realised it's actually quite obvious why it's traffic wardens because 
all the police uniforms we used on the previous oh, scene. Of course, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. And, and to save time, they were shooting them simultaneously. So but they're pretending they're policewomen. Yeah. They're meant it, to be two policewomen. Yeah, but they're they're definitely traffic wardens. They're in the yellow that's a nineties traffic warden outfit. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Not police colours. Well, no, we do know. They were out of they were out of yeah. police uniforms. Okay, so it makes perfect sense. They could only afford three because they spent so much on the El Greco painting and yeah. Two other things that I'm going to bring up later. And also, they're traffic wardens, but they're also about 13. They're really young. Yeah. Because then Adam Klaus, go, who is in the trailer the whole yeah. time, right? That's the yeah. gag that he's not in the coffin at all. Yeah. Um, and Adam, uh, uh, Jonathan goes to talk to Adam and he leans out the window and says, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna go talk to them. They're, you know, they're so attractive, aren't they? Oh, give me a waterbed and three snorkels with those two. Yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> joke is meant to be like you get after a while you start to understand david rennick jokes and you even if they're not funny you understand the logic yeah with this one my brain just went like <laughs> i just stopped working like, i just i couldn't i tried to work out what he was trying to get at and then i my brain just died just i resigned because the, what does he mean a waterbed and three snorkels yeah i don't know no I don't uh, know. You know, let us know. What would you do with if someone said, "Give me a water bread and water bed and three snorkels"? Would that make you? Would that you know stir your loins? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so then we think, right? That's the yeah. end of that. Let's go back to the mystery. Yeah. No, let's no, go no. to Caroline Quentin in therapy. Yeah, yeah. So Caroline Quentin's having therapy. She's talking about a dream that she's having, presumably with Jonathan. Um. Uh, where they're making love, but it's on stage at the Royal Opera House Covent Garden, yep. which apparently is important to say the location of it. I... That could be the Royal Opera House Bermondsey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all know that one. Um, and then there's a gag that I actually loved. Um, it's so silly, but I loved it. A, a guy comes in, bursts into yep. the therapy session, and uh, he says he's a police officer, and that this woman has a condition where she impersonates... Therapists. therapists and he's and he's he's coming and saying I'm, I'm very sorry this has happened and trying to arrest her and then another therapist comes in and it turns out that he actually has a condition where he thinks he's a police officer i genuinely laughed i i, 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 thought I, I actually the, wrote it was a great gag yeah i wrote great gag the yeah. setup the timing actually everything was, was great and Just perfect really still well works and is still funny today yeah um it makes it more annoying that he doesn't do that all the time but yeah, it was a really nice, funny gag. Yeah. Uh, the shine's taken off slightly later, but I'll, I'll yeah. get to that. Um, and then, and then, so there's the whole therapist thing. Um, and then, oh, right, now it must be time to get... Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> now we go to Barry. Yeah. Uh, Barry the, the publisher. Barry the... What? The agent. The, you know, Barry. Yeah. You know who you mean. Yeah, you know. It's hard to describe what he is, but no. he has a desk and he is somehow works... For and with Caroline Quentin. And he's got a little bow tie. And he's got a bow tie. And um, he's Scottish. How has he never met Jonathan? Uh, um, I, it's bizarre. Utterly bizarre. Having said that, yeah. it isn't. Because we find out later on yeah. the time scale of this these eight episodes. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I'll come back to it later. Yeah. But, um, but that might be why. Yeah. Because the timeline that we're thinking this series has gone on for... The second series, you know, into the second season now. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It, we're we're clearly way off the mark. Yeah, yeah, massively. But yeah, he uh, meets Jonathan. Um, 
and I don't know why, because as soon as the scene starts, mm-hmm. they, they're sitting down and chatting and he goes, oh, well, I'm terribly sorry. I've got two lunch meetings. I'm late for both of them. So, like, you're absolutely right. What, there is. What are they? What are they there for? So, no. So, so the reason for that scene existing is to do with the second subplot, which is that something from Maddie's past has yeah. come back and something she has to deal with. So it's for Jonathan to overhear Barry and Maddie having a conversation about something. That Gordon Hill. Yeah, for, for, for him to become intrigued by because he doesn't know what's, what they're talking about. Yeah, that's dramatically why it's there. Yeah. But in the world of Jonathan Creek, why, <laughs> why, are, they why are they there? Because yeah, so yeah, the yeah, minute they got there, he said, right, <laughs> sorry, get out of my office, I've got to go. Yeah. But have you not arranged to have this meeting? <laughs> Someone must have let, you must have let them into the office and said... Maddie, Jonathan, have a seat. Sit down. Oh, isn't this lovely? You must. What? What yeah. conversation have you had? Yeah. I, yeah. Fuck all. Um, uh, but then, it does. Yeah. But dramatically, it does set. Yes. Yeah, uh, but it, yeah. It it it, it feels really shoehorned in. Um, and then Maddie uh, suggests. Yeah, suggests to Jonathan that we're going to have a fancy lunch somewhere. Now I should say prior to this in the snorkel and waterbed scene. <laughs> yeah. We uh, Jonathan learns about the uh, the stolen painting, of course, yes. in a newspaper, and he says, "Oh, this is great news because they hate Sylvester Lafay because he's a nasty critic. He gave yeah, he gave them a bad review." Now, two things about this, yeah, uh, because it, and and l- later again, Jonathan quotes a chunk. He quotes big chunks of this review, word for word. He's he memorized it. Now, he hates both of us, Sylvester Lafay. Both of us have, have had bad reviews in our careers. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I All right, yeah. could not sit here now and tell you a, a single word of them. No. And you and take everything very personally. I take everything incredibly <laughs> personally. <laughs> um, um, it, which Jonathan shouldn't, because the whole point of his character is that he sort of begrudgingly Works does this job and feels like he's above Adam and doesn't like the kind of magic that Adam doesn't like the shows that he does. Yeah. Anyway, so why does he care so much about this bad review? It screws up the thing of Sylvester Lafay being this antagonist. Also, we're on board with the fact that Sylvester Lafay's a, a really, uh, Lafay's a really harsh critic because of what he says about um, up, up, what's it called? Upload, download at the at the Cottesloe. Yeah. And we're assuming that he's mean. But also, we've seen Adam Klaus's shows, and we yeah. know how bad they are. Yeah. Like, they're all dreadful. Yeah. Because none of the tricks in it are, and, are, are there any good. And that's sort of part of the part of the joke of it. Isn't it so, meant to be part of the charm, is that yeah. Adam Klaus isn't a very good magician? Yeah. So I don't know why calling that out and then having us as the audience feeling like we're meant to be disagreeing with that because he's the, the bad guy. It's Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, really odd. The whole bit is very confusing about that. Um Anyway, so he, but he, it is important also that we acknowledge how obs- obsessed Jonathan Creek is with Sylvester Lafay. Yeah, yeah, Com- Be- completely obsessed. Yeah, because Maddie then says, "I'll take you for lunch." And where does she take him? To Sylvester Lafay's house. And how long is it before Jonathan Creek realizes that this is what's going on? And well, he's. She, someone says, I'll go and get Mr. LaFleur or something. Yeah. It's yeah. In, literally until he's told. Yeah. He has no clue. No clue, yeah. But he is, 
obsessed with this man. But doesn't know that that's his house. Doesn't know that's his house. And he's just house. read it in the news. Yeah. Has just read the news story about how this painting was stolen from this house. Yeah. But also, he's Jonathan Creek. We <laughs> have to believe that he's really smart and really on it and remembers everything. Only and... about maths, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's like, he hasn't used magic once. But <laughs> we're meant to believe that he's got this great mind. And the great mind takes so long to work out that they weren't really going for lunch to the point where he actually acknowledges it and says, I'm just looking in the mirror to, so I can see what a gullible fool looks like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we, yeah, we learn about... It's weird. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Maddie and Jonathan go into the into the, the room where the painting's been taken. They have a little look around. They then go into a room yeah, where... Just, just before... Mm-hmm. They, when they're in the room that the painting's been stolen, yeah, there's a mention of a fifty thousand pound reward whilst they're in the room. Yes, for any information, and the, something weird happens to the camera. And we, I mean, we we watched this one on Netflix actually. Yeah. Um. So it's not like a dodgy DVD, although that wouldn't, you know, a VHS or something. Um. That. It went really Blair Witch, like, camera work yeah. on Jonathan's face. And he wasn't reacting to the £50,000 reward at all. No. But it was just something really weird happened. And I, I thought, oh, is this, a, is this the copy of the recording? I'm like, it's not. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I something weird that, happened. Yeah, um, very strange. Um, sorry, yeah. And then, yeah, and then they go uh, into uh, this other room where supposedly... Sylvester Flair had been hit over the head, yeah, uh, the back of the head, uh, by whoever this person was that ran out and stole the painting. And there are footprints in the dust on the floor. Yeah, and they're having a little nosy around. And then Jonathan again brings up another quote from this review, um, mm-hmm. revealing that he knows who Sylvester Flair is, and then says, "I know exactly how your painting got stolen. I'm just not going to tell you." Which I think is a really nice device mm-hmm. because it's the first time that the formula of of uh, the, the you know the murder mystery, the crime yeah. mystery drama, is being played with slightly, and I think it's a real palate cleanser. Yeah, it's um, really nice that he knows, but we don't, and no other character does. Yeah, but he also has this moment where he steps over <sighs> Mister Lefray. He makes him lie down to show where he was struck. Yeah. Um, and then he steps over him and he finds it really disrespectful. And I thought, it, it's weird. It's a weird thing to do. Yeah. But it's not like a mark of disrespect. It's just a really odd behaviour. Yeah. Um, but there's this huge reaction from Bob Monkhouse, who was acting to the gods. Um, yeah. Oh, God, don't step over me. This is internal monologue. Yeah. Um, and then we cut back. Yes. To Stuart Milligan, who uh, is talking uh, to presumably one of his girlfriends or something. You know, we don't know, but he's talking yeah. to someone off camera, saying, of course, darling, I'd love to take you. Oh, yeah, he's going to Buckingham Palace to get an MBE. Yeah, which which should should be the most shocking thing <laughs> about this scene. Yeah, it's Why not... on earth is this man who we know who is terrible, and yeah. also, not just we know he's terrible, but... The critics in this episode fame, uh, slag him off. Like, he's not a good magician. Question. Yeah. 
Can an American get an MBE? No, not unless you're a British citizen. Right. You can be adopted if for British citizenship. And or get like an honorary. And you can get an honorary one. Yeah. Um, guys, let us know. Can Adam Klaus actually even get an MBE? Is he eligible? Let us know. It's a very good point. Um, anyway, that soon all becomes irrelevant yeah. when the camera shows who Stuart Milligan, Adam Klaus, is talking to. It's a tiger. It's a real tiger. It's a real live tiger. A, a huge, like, Bengal tiger. Yeah. An, an, an actual... T- it's not like House of Monkeys. It's not someone in a tiger costume. No. It's a real tiger. Would you have preferred it if it was someone in a tiger costume? Yes. Yeah, why? Uh, I just <laughs> think it fits the aesthetic of the show. It does, I'll yeah. Either have it in a tiger costume or have a real gorilla in House yeah. of Monkeys. Yeah. Why, why are we picking and choosing what animals we're using? It is a bit bizarre. I mean, they couldn't even get a real frog for no trace. It's a toy plastic frog. A toy plastic frog. Plastic frog a toy plastic frog because a, real, writing on it. because a real frog would be too expensive. Of course it would be. But a real life tiger, absolutely fine. And, and again, we're now meant to believe that Adam Klaus is Siegfried and Roy. I was going to say, it doesn't... Different magician again. Why is this magician doing a David Blaine endurance test thing? Yeah, it is very odd. So we now have the El Greco forged and fake painting and a tiger. Like, how how much money are they spending on things that didn't need to be happening? The the tiger added nothing. It... it, the, the, the purpose for the tiger is for us to have this reaction. Yeah. That's the only reason it exists. It's for literally the only reason it's in there is for people to go, God, they've put a tiger in this. Yeah, that's exactly it. It is. It's so they go, oh, wow, getting our license fee money, aren't we? It's never referenced again. It's never seen again. What? Oh, why? And, why is there a tiger? interacts with it, which means Stuart Milligan would have had to have training with the animal. And it, oh, God. It, 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 yeah. The time and the money in is, is huge. It's ridiculous. Um, there's also then a scene with Maddie and Jonathan and she's trying to get the information yeah. out of him. Um, and the fake policeman turns up. So before that, right, they're yeah. in Maddie's flat, which is different again, isn't uh, it? She's it's moved again. She's moved again. again. She's moved again. Are we on house number four now, I think? Yeah. yeah. It's not even a flat. It's a house, isn't it? Which gets, which gets better... When we oh talk about goodness. the time frame no. that Barry brings up later yeah. on. Yeah, this is true. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Um, and she's decanting. Like, it's a bit like anyone who went to drama school or anything or knows of like Meisner. It's like a Meisner exercise where you have a meaningless task to complete yeah. in order to make the scene look a bit more interesting. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Famously, Peter O'Toole peeling the orange when he yes. has to be or not to be. Ex- yeah. A great example. So people think it's a bit more interesting to watch. So Maddie, um, I don't, maybe Caroline Quentin's a big Meisner fan, I don't know, um, is decanting a full bottle of white wine into an already half-full magnum of white wine. <laughs> which is in a red wine magnum yeah. bottle yeah. rather than a white wine. So I don't know what she's doing, but she's, it's meant to be something about her being cheap with wine, I think. <laughs> but it's very odd. That's going on. And she swears. She says... Which you know jack shit about. Yeah, that and was uncomfortable. Was like, sorry, sorry. It's eight o'clock on our Sunday yeah. evening. I don't, and I'm and I'm nine. Yeah, I don't want that. You know, that's a bit harsh. I don't know why she's, but she's angry about the fact that he's withholding her twenty five thousand pound share of the money, which actually should all be him. 
yeah. should be his 50 grand. I don't know why she's so invested, actually, now I'm thinking about it. Because she doesn't have the answer anyway. Yeah. She doesn't have any information leading to the return of the painting. He does. Yeah. So, anyway, there you are. And you're right. And at this point, what happens? Yeah, so they she tries to get the answer out of him. It doesn't work. She kind of gives up and they move on. But then the fake copper mm-hmm. comes in. And uh, uh, she's kind of like, oh, no, I think it's all, we're, we're all right now. Um, and the policeman does, ignores her and reads, Jonathan is the right act and says, you know, it's an offence to withhold information about a crime, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And obviously it's a gag because we know it's, it's we the, know that the he's fake not really copper. A copper. But how, how, how did she get, how, how, how did she contact no him? No idea. Because for that to happen, the therapist must have... Broken the law. Absolutely broken the law. And provided his contact details. But also, the whole point is that he thinks he's a police officer. He thinks he really is one. So it's not like she could say, could you come and pretend to be a police officer, please, and arrest my friend? Yeah. Because he'd say, either I don't know what you're talking about because I'm a gas man, or he'd be having an episode and he'd say, sorry, I've got other cases to deal with. Yeah. Also... I've just realised that it, 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 it has to be the therapist breaking the law because the only other possible option was, was she waited around yeah. and spoke to him, but that interaction happened before she knew Jonathan didn't... Yeah. Like, before any, anything Before happened. any of this happened. In fact, that's very true. How has she? How have they come from the house... Yeah. To her, to, from the, the, the crime scene to her house? Yeah. When did she... When did she arrange for him to come round? Exactly. There's no, there's not time for any. Exactly. For the, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it takes a little bit of the shine off the original joke of it. I, it, you didn't, you didn't need this at all. It's that extra bit that yeah ruins it slightly. It's like David Rennick knew the first bit was funny. I thought, oh, I'll ruin this. And went, I'll ruin. <laughs> so just to piss off Callum and David, <laughs> I've got something. I've got a little bit of something good. That's exactly how it feels. <laughs> right now, uh, then we go back. Oh, before we go anywhere, we've got a monologue about potpourri, which is important. Yes. Like it, in terms of it, it's a base that needs covering. There's also, a scent. I feel like he's really angry at potpourri, David Reddick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a big thing about how potpourri's a con. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's all because there's a scent in the room. Not not yeah. the room the painting was taken from, but the room where this guy supposedly ran up. Hence why the title of the show is The Scented Room, which is really weird because this is such a minor, minor yep. part of, of, of the reveal when it comes to it. I don't I don't know why I don't know why the title is to do with this and not anything else, but yeah. but there we go. Um And also he says the key is it the key is the spam sandwich, not not the potpourri or the scented room. Yeah. The key to understanding it all. Is the security guard spam sandwich? Yeah, it, the episode should be called the security guard spa, spam sandwich. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, so then uh, we go after getting a bit of more exposition, a bit more clues for Maddie to work on spam sandwich. What was the scent in that room? We go back to um, the Laflays, and he's built a treehouse for the boy. For the boy, uh, with a working lift. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've just added it to the list here. The treehouse I mean, lift, the tiger, the painting. How much money was spent on this episode? I That's... can't believe they must have built this treehouse. And it's got, it genuinely has a working lift. And the whole point of it is that they've, 
you know, the boy wants a treehouse so he can, you know, be outdoors and, you know, do make something with his parents, yeah. but they're not, they miss the point, you know. Yeah. Um, that's the, so we're sad for the boy. But also, that money's actually been spent and it's actually been built. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, BBC in the 90s got money to burn. But they're, they're making the point that the boy gets all, given all these material things, but really what he wants is spending time with his parents, which he doesn't get because they're materialistic and yeah. uh, not very nice people. How, well, how rich are they? The other, This is what I also don't understand, is that he's a theatre critic. Yeah. I mean... You ask Lynn Gardner or you know what she was on at the, at the Guardian. Yeah, Billington. She ain't gonna be owning a stately fucking home with holidays no. in Aspen or Simmeritz. <laughs> as they're described as going, how, how is he making so much money of yeah. reviewing shows at the Cottesloe? Gadding about all over the world. I think they're. <laughs> I mean, you, just for the, if you're watching that episode and going, I know. I want to go where the money is. Yeah. When I grow up, I'm going to be a theatre critic. You're going to be sorely mistaken. Also, surely he has to commit to reviewing a certain amount of plays per week. How can he do that if he's going all over the world all the time? That's a good point. The, like, money, yes, but also a jet-setting lifestyle. You can't have that if you're a theatre critic. Unless they're saying that he's, that, like, the Times or whoever he's reporting for are flying him all over the world to review... <laughs> Shows, yeah, which is, is all over Europe and America. It's not a thing. It's not a thing at all. Like, like Kenneth Tynan, probably the most famous theatre critic of all time, most celebrated one. I don't think was flown all over the world to go no. review stuff. <sighs> anyway, we then go back to Barry's office, and um, there's a scene where I think what happened is David Rennick stepped out. And like John Osborne or like Jimmy McGovern came was, in. Yeah, I was, I was, a real Jimmy McGovern's a good one. Yeah, like really, really fucking dramatic. Yeah, really dark. I just my notes is this got dark quickly. <laughs> yeah. And basically, David Rennick realised that it's been a season and a half, and he's given us no backstory to Maddie whatsoever. So instead of just starting to pepper it through the subsequent episodes. Yeah. He just went, all in one go, gave Barry this monologue that told us, li literally, this isn't exaggerating, her entire life story. Entire life story. And, like, Barry's, like, the actor's eyes kind of, you know, uh, closen together. Yeah. And, and the camera kind of pans in on his face. Yeah. And he's like, you've, you, you, how long have you known Maddie? Yeah. What, a few months? Yeah, right? This is the first thing. We've alluded to this a couple of times now. A few months. They've they've done all the eight mysteries that we've been following them through. Yeah. Have happened in the space of a few months. He's had a relationship with a bold woman. To, got to the point of meeting the parents. A Adam Klaus has gone from doing Egyptian stage magic routines to David Blaine endurance tests. Hang on. Hang on a minute. Now, I might be I might be misremembering this. But in the first episode of this season, isn't there a reference to Adam Klaus's show being open a year? Oh, no. If you're right, then... Guys, let yeah. us know. If anyone out there knows, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure that there's a massive continuity hole here. I'm sure there is a reference of Adam's show having been open uh, over a year now. Which is amazing, considering it's been panned by the critics. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I can really vividly recall that. So, 
if that's true, that doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. No. Um, but yeah. Uh, and also, Manny Magellan's moved four times. And, and this is the other thing. How has she moved so many times? In a matter they, of months. In this relationship they have. But he says, um, uh, you never knew her father. Neither did she. Like, well, why would he know her father <laughs> if he's only known her a few months? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so she... Is he trying to guilt trip Jonathan Creek in this scene? It feels very accusatory. It's, yeah, yeah, but I'm not sure what why. I'm not sure what his purpose is. No, it's not, clearly not meant to be. But that's that's the way he's playing it. Is that that or, or like shaming Jonathan that he doesn't know enough about her? Yeah. But but the reason why he's telling him this is because he says that she hides behind all these layers. Yeah. So he's acknowledged it's her not giving out that information but yet still for some reason seems angry at Jonathan and also feels privy to give out this information yeah because I'm not sure if Maddie hasn't told Jonathan I don't think he should be telling her this <laughs> I was really uncomfortable yeah. with that like, like, like I don't I'm trying to think of a parallel but like, like imagine if I met your agent for the first time and you started telling all this stuff that you've never told me I'm yeah like, this is really weird and uncomfortable yeah like just so so strange anyway yeah we learn that uh she never knew her father her mum killed herself by electrocuting herself by putting a wire of a an of, iron of cord an iron in her cord mouth in her mouth when she was 17 when uh yeah when when, when maddie was 17 came home yeah. and found the body um and she's never really gotten over it no no, um, and the, the the reference to Gordon Hill, Gordon Hill, wasn't a person. No, it was the place that she grew up. She grew that up is being demolished, which is being demolished, which is the next scene we cut yeah. to. Now, S E S E six, S E six. Now, <laughs> you smug. What have you got? What have you got in your pocket? Incidentally, S E six is uh, Heather Green. Heather Green, oh, yeah, very nice. Uh, Home to all the acting musicians of London. <laughs> Um, yeah, that and Leighton Stone. Yeah, true. Um, uh, so I uh, did some research before we even started recording the whole podcast of Macabre um, to fill in some of the context in that first episode. And uh, it triggered a memory from that research when I saw that, which is the scenes of the house being demolished yeah. are from an episode of A Touch of Frost. They bought them. They didn't, really? They didn't film that. Do you know why? Because they spent the money on a tiger. Fantastic. Okay. Didn't they? All right. I mean, who is the production accountant on this series? That's why, you know, if anyone had walked in and seen on TV <laughs> Maddie crying in a house being demolished and just saw me suddenly burst out laughing, I yeah. thought it was quite callous. But it's because I remembered that She's they couldn't... Watching nothing. They couldn't afford... To demolish a house, but they could afford a tiger. They could afford to build a working lift in a treehouse. They could afford to uh, pay a forger to create an El Greco. You know, people are talking about Nicky Morgan's, you know, shutting down the BBC and the fact that it'll be sold off by 2027. Seven years away. I actually think that, you know, they, they, it, the Conservative government have been handed a lot of ammunition by this episode alone. <laughs> I think this might be the reason for the BBC falling into bad favour with the Tory Tory uh, cut obsessed policy. I think that's it. I think that's it. I but I just why 
why does the money go there rather than the thing that they've set up to be very important in this episode? And also not just, this is not an, just an episode storyline. It's something that informs about a character that carries us across the season, yeah. the series. So the tiger is completely unimportant. The treehouse is completely unimportant. This yeah. is actually something that we, we want to invest in. Oh, I can't afford it. Let's buy it from, <laughs> from ITV. Because it's not even from another BBC stock. Also, why don't the BBC have stock footage of a building being collapsed? It's a great point. It was probably bought by Touch of Frost 10 years ago <laughs> and they had to buy it back at twice the price. Um, but yeah, I loved I loved that. Um, yeah, very, very serious monologue monologue written by Jimmy McGovern, um, performed terrifyingly by Barry the Agent. Yeah. Um, we also, uh, in between, have had a little a cutback to Jonathan in his windmill um, and he's hoovering. And then the phone rings and he talks to himself for a while yeah. um, about Adam's crazy ideas for meeting the Queen to get his MB. I should perform a trick. Yeah. And he's taking the piss and Adam is, you know, ringing him very angrily this time, not yeah. for advice about the trick, but to tell him that uh, actually uh, Lafley's Lefle- wife has some connection with the Conservative Council of Westminster who have an inordinate amount of control yeah. over whether Adam gets his MBE or not. So they're putting pressure on Jonathan to reveal what he knows. No, it's not about the MBE. It's about whether he's allowed to have a concert oh, in a right. park, yeah. which is confusing because... Why do they you... keep saying concert? I, I don't blame you for thinking that because immediately after that scene, I just changed it to being about the NBA. makes more sense. Yeah, because no, that's what they've down. been setting up. What are they on about a concert? Yeah. Why is, that, why is a magician holding a concert <laughs> in, in a, a park? park? I know. I know. And that's the first mention of it. Yeah. So it's very confusing as to why that's the thing. Do that you want to go see about. the concert in Hyde Park? Yeah. Yeah. I love watching men getting buried alive. Because actually... Because that's what happens at concerts, isn't it? Actually, all you needed to do was say that the the Flay's wife were close with the royal family because that's more believable because then clearly nobility they come from noble stock they've got a stately home. Well, we certainly hasn't hasn't come from from the journalism career, has it? <laughs> so it must have come from somewhere else. So it makes no sense. Uh, yeah. So that um, is revealed. So then Jonathan kind of has to begrudgingly then yeah. eventually help Maddie. And, and that he that's what leads him to go and find out where she is. And yeah. he, go, he goes and collects her from Gordon Hill. Goes and collects her from Gordon Hill. And we have a touch of frost. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And then Jonathan and Maddie go <laughs> to a girls' school and just wander in. Just wander in and oh have a little goodness. chat. I mean, both you and I have done some safeguarding training and I'm sure <laughs> it's updated from what it was in the 90s, but Jesus Christ, you can't walk into an all-girls school and start chatting to students without get, getting arrested. Now, uh, I know my sister listens to this. Yeah. Now, uh, Laura, you would have been working at Bristol Cathedral School in about 1999. Can you let us know whether two strangers... An investigative journalist and a magician's assistant... Would have just been allowed to walk right in to a school uh, and just talk in, in the playground yeah. to, to uh, teenage girls. Um, just, just let us know that. Or, or anyone who might have the answer to that. Anyone who worked in a school in the 90s, let us know. Because I think 
even in the 90s, that's that's a stretch. Yeah. Do you know what? I've just remembered that uh, actually I've worked it out because I've I've got a brain and the answer is no. <laughs> but thanks, Lara. Uh, if you can confirm that, that'd be great. Um, so we're nearing the end now because we are. We, we are nearing the end. He's Jonathan's resigned to telling the the story. Um, the, yeah. The, sorry, give, revealing the solution. So, so yeah. So they go to the Laflays, um, and uh, he's like, "Right, I'm going to tell you uh, how how it happens." And he says, uh, "They obviously go to the place where the paintings hid." And he says, um, "Everyone's got to leave except for uh, the boy, their, yeah. their son." Um, and uh, they all leave, uh, leave the boy in there, close her, and he says, right, how long was the door closed? About 30 seconds, you said, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then for some reason, there is a time-passing montage Such for, a, oh. for 30 seconds. For exactly as long a, as it's meant to be in real life. <laughs> it felt like the montage it's, was it's a little longer. <laughs> Maybe 45. <laughs> Are they literally, they've just gone, oh... Oh shit! We haven't made we haven't we were making up time like they did in the in the second part of Wrestlers Team. They were yeah. just making up time yeah. to make it a two a two part. Yeah, yeah. They... Or or the um in uh, Jack in the Box the montage of him drilling through the wall. Oh my god, that was amazing though. Which I think is is literally the same the same as this. Just oh, just an unnecessary montage over such a short amount of time. But yeah. they all look so bored. And I'm like, oh. guys, it's it's thirty oh. seconds. Oh, waiting around here for thirty seconds. Felt like 30 years. Absolutely no concept of time. But it was some lovely montages. Um, and then they go back in the room and the painting is on the floor. At the feet of the boy. At the feet of the boy. Uh, and, and now, uh, crucially, Jonathan doesn't tell Sylvester Lafay how it's done. Because they've no. gone, okay, look, I've done what you asked. I've got the painting back. But I'm going to have the last laugh here because I'm not going to tell you how it's done. Not give you the satisfaction. Um... But then we obviously do get the the payoff. They go and uh, have a little chat with the girl. Which I'm assuming this is a flashback to when they were in the school. Yeah. Because why would they have gone there again? Well, they're certainly not allowed back in after that episode. <laughs> um, and they find the girl that did it. And they said, you know, the only thing we can't work out is, is why. And she said, oh, well, you have to talk to my sister Melissa about mm. that. And... Uh, and Maddie says, uh, oh, you, you know, yeah. And that's when I, it is a flashback, isn't it? Because she's doing the reveal, this part of the reveal to her therapist for some reason. That is very true. And it's... it segues really clumsily into her talking about dealing with Gordon Hill coming down into, yeah. like, I was like, wait, what? How how was, how have you managed that? Because it was like a nonsense three words that then got her to. It was really fast, but it also took us back to the Jimmy McGovern thing because she was saying, you know, I'm so sad about, you know, my past, which we know all about now because of Barry's monologue. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think I was about to throw myself in front of the digger had he not, had Jonathan not turned up to yeah. get to get closure on the case. Like, w would you have killed yourself? It's, that, yeah. So, so, yeah, I'm not insensitive to that. As an audience member, I'm leaning in. Uh, and then, oh, doesn't matter though, because actually we've got to get the reveal out yeah. of the episode because yeah. we've painted ourselves into a corner. So, so yeah, so she's shoehorned. Yeah, uh, massively. Um, and she explains how uh, she remembered the name Melissa because uh, the the Flay's wife had said, oh, he picked up bad habits from this Melissa. Yeah. Turns out Melissa, the older sister of the girl that um, 
was responsible for the the uh, disappearance of the painting uh, was a, a nanny, nanny uh, that got fired, um, uh, but she had a really close bond mm-hmm. and wanted to show the the flames uh, that she wanted them to feel the loss that she felt from losing that job by losing something they truly loved, assuming they didn't truly love their kids, but yeah. they loved this painting. Um, and so we go through. Does that mean was... if they had truly loved the kid, she yeah. would have stolen the boy? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, <laughs> then we get to actually what happened to the painting. Um, the whole idea, the whole idea of it has to have come from her boyfriend, Jeff. They yeah. allude to the fact that he had the beginning of the idea, but that doesn't make any sense because all that would mean is he looked at a door that was partially hollow because it was this Spanish door. Yeah. Um, and went. I've got an idea about something that we, we should do something with this door. I don't know what, but the door's hollow. It should like, be, that's we should do weird. something. I know. I know. Why didn't we hide a famous painting inside it? Yeah, he can't. It makes no sense that the door was the first, first part. idea. You've got a really good makes point. Makes no sense. Really good point. You're not, you're not going to get there from the door being hollow. No. You're going to think, what? We need to get back at them by hiding something they love. Let's get rid of the painting. How do we get rid of the painting? Then Jeff goes, oh, the door. He I'm a carpenter. I understand how doors yeah. work. Presumably no, but, he's a carpenter. No, no, no. He's over there. He shows it in a flashback. Unnecessarily yeah. so. Uh, and of, had the middle part of an idea. Yeah. Of her <laughs> cleaning out her stuff after she's been fired. And he says, hey, Melissa, come and take a look at this. Yeah. Why? Come and take a look at this hollow door. That's great, Jeff. Why? Don't I just wanted to show you. I don't think this is going to work out. Yeah, I don't, absolutely. You're mental. Yes. Why are you showing me a hollow door? But no, fine. Um, and all this is explained whilst uh, Jonathan and, and Caroline are with Jeff and Melissa in Jeff's back garden. And there's just a lovely little 90s barbecue going on. Little Weber barbecue and a bench. And, you know, that's my other bit of nostalgia. <laughs> was the minibus at the beginning, and it was a barbecue. I could smell it. A little nice 90s summer. I don't know about you guys, but my favourite thing about this series is the weird things that you get nostalgic about. Uh, it's just nice. Barbecue. Don't devalue it. It's just it's nice. Everyone agrees. <laughs> Lovely. Um, so we also <laughs> learn... Uh, so yeah, so we should say the painting is cut out of the frame by her teen sister and put into this gap in, in, in the door. Um, now... The scented room mm-hmm. comes because they, uh, Jonathan realizes that Sylvester knew that they'd need more evidence from the insurance company that it was definitely stolen. Now, Jonathan guesses, com- completely guesses, that the wife hit Sylvester Lafleur in the back of the head based on, on nothing or no one. That's a really good point. Yeah. Just, just, just get fine, fine. But that happens in all the reveals that he does a big bit. There's always a guesses. bit that he makes up. Yeah. Um, Guesses that happens, and then guesses that... Uh, they staged the... Bri- yeah, the, the Sil- Sylvester goes, oh, I've already got this wound on the back of my head. I'll pretend that someone hit me. Um, and then he's like, oh, we need to have footprints, but the floor's just been cleaned. I'll create some fake dust, uh, dust out of talcum powder, hence why the room is scented, and put some footprints in it. Jonathan realises, though, earlier on when he f- discovers that, that uh, that can't have been the person that took the painting, because why would they have walked around the outside of the carpet... And why would they be walking, not running, because of where the footprints are, are placed? Um, now, that's all very well, isn't it? But we've had, as we discussed earlier, the most sophisticated forensic team. 
on this Forensic case. scientists didn't spot the talcum powder. That's right. the last note I have. Because, I mean, <laughs> what on earth were they there if they didn't notice? I'm so glad you clocked that oh. as well. My first thought, great. Why didn't forensic scientists notice that talcum powder wasn't dust? I mean, they were in hazmat suits. Yeah. But no, fine. Couldn't, couldn't pick that up, apparently. Just ridiculous. Um, so the whole thing, and the, you know, the, the very title of the episode is yeah. bullshit, logically. But yeah. at least it's not wrong within the world of Jonathan Crick. Yeah. Which is a big step up, because I think that's the first yeah. episode in a long time that actually makes sense within the world. Yeah. As long as you suspend your disbelief. Um, and then we just have uh, an identical day anymore in, in, to every other episode of Jonathan Creek where Maddie and Jonathan are somewhere. Um, yeah, what, not her house. Not her house, not his, not house, his house. Not a hotel. So I'm not quite sure where they are. It's, it's nondescript. And they're going to go out? I don't know. She's doing her hair for something. But I assumed that they were going to Adam Klaus's to watch the award being given. But he's reading an article about how about, badly it went. About how badly it went, So we don't know where yeah. they're going, but it yeah. looks like they're going out for dinner or something. But the, the gag is she's talking about communication and he's yeah. not listening to her. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. She says a weird thing about them having a son, which I found really odd because, like, they're not together. Yeah. And that was... It that was the key strange. to any relationship, wouldn't you think, Jonathan? So the yeah. irony is only... The irony only works if if they're in a relationship. Yeah. Which they're not. No. Yeah. So that's all that's all very strange. And then uh, her annoyance at him not listening, she throws some talcum powder in his face. Um, and that's the end. That's the end of the episode. Um, and it was it, it was a good episode. I mean, we've still spent an hour tearing it apart, but they they yeah. are minor. They are more minor criticisms. Much more minor. I think you'll agree. Other than the reveal of the time scale, which throws off literally everything about the whole series. Yeah. But other than that, the actual uh, mystery itself, I think, is really tight and compact. Um, the motives make sense. The motives make sense. The fact that they changed it up with Jonathan already knowing and not revealing it was really nice. And and he's t- you know he's tied up all the loose ends, Rennick, in this. Yeah. If a little clumsily in places. Yeah. But that's he's bothering to do that, which he never was when he first started writing it. He just went, oh, that'll do. Whereas yeah. this time he's actually gone, no, let's, you know, let's write in the answers. Yeah. So that these questions are, you know, aren't just lying in the minds of the audience. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think it's just lovely to have a nice big um, murder mystery with Bob Monkhouse guest starring. Absolutely. And, you know, Absolutely. magic and mystery and crime and, and a little relationship there. It's good. Yeah. It's got all the ingredients for a good series. I think it's going to do well, John oh. Creek. <laughs> I think it's going to survive this second season series and might even go further. Well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Next week we have The Problem at Gallows Gate, part oh, one, a two-parter. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I don't remember a huge amount from this other than it's a load of rich young people at a party again at another stately home. Um, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that one next week. The Beautiful and the Damned. Absolutely. Um so yeah, that is it for another episode. Uh, as always, you can get in touch with us, uh, podcastermacabra at gmail.com or tweet us at macabrapodcaster or have a little chat with us on Facebook. Uh, you can find our page by searching Podcaster Macabre or uh, typing in fb.me forward slash podcastermacabra. You can also find us on 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Anchor, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts. Anywhere you get podcasts, really. Anywhere you get podcasts from. And also, guys, do uh, share and like our Facebook and, and Twitter stuff as it well. It helps it's, a lot when you do that. It's really important to kind of, yeah, uh, for us uh, to get the word out there and get uh, even more listeners. Um, so, yeah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I have been David Chopland. I have been Callum Hughes. And this has been Podcast of Macabre. Thank have you a great for week. listening. Thank you. Thank you.